Today is June 28th. This is Verses and Flow. I'm Jennifer, your guide and traveling companion on this beautiful journey of self-discovery and spiritual growth through these sacred scriptures. Today, we find ourselves engrossed in the dramatic narratives of 2 Kings and Acts, and of course, we have our psalm and our proverb. Now, in 2 Kings, it's like we're going through a medieval saga of kings and kingdoms, treacherous triumphs, and equally tragic travails, legacies, loyalties, and lore, all of which remind us of the complexity and fragility of the human experience. And yeah, these events did take place thousands of years ago, but if you look closely enough, within these stories lies a mirror reflecting our own inner battles, our war for identity and authenticity, and our quest for both mastery and meaning. Ooh, I am saying a lot today already, aren't I? Listen, within these pages of the Bible, we discover not only others' experience of the past, it would be a mistake to look at it that way. We are also experiencing echoes of our present. So as we explore these stories, let's examine ourselves, seek out, search out the lessons that are here for us, and be inspired to embrace our strengths, face our weaknesses, and map out a course towards a life of character, purpose, and integrity. Now, Paul in Acts, let's let his adventurous spirit and unwavering conviction remind us of the transformative power that lies within us all. Paul was not unique in his ability. What I mean by that is all of us are capable of being courageous, right? We're all capable of confronting that which is a bit scary. So as we retrace his footsteps, we should be reminded that our lives are not meant to be stagnant, but rather this continuous dance of exploration, expansion, and discovery. Let's embrace the unknown, the unfamiliar, the unpredictable, and step into the vastness of our potential and allow our spirits to get free. We do not get to the next level. We don't change. We don't grow from places of comfort. We have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable, with being uncomfortable. And then in Proverbs, once again, we are reminded of the power of our words, these vocal vibrations that shape our reality. Like brushes on a canvas, our words have the ability to paint beauty or make a mess of things. Let's cultivate the art of mindful speech, crafting our sentences carefully and truthfully. With conscious intent, let's infuse our conversations with kindness, empathy, and sincerity. Let's forge real connections that stand the test of time, okay? All right, I think I've said enough. Let's get going, flowing, and growing 2 Kings chapters 13 and 14, the message version. Jehoahaz of Israel. In the 23rd year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, a rule of 17 years. He lived an evil life before God, walking step for step in the tracks of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who led Israel into a life of sin, swerving neither left or right. 
Exasperated, God was furious with Israel and turned them over to Hazael, king of Aram, and Benadad, son of Hazael. This domination went on for a long time. Then Jehoahaz prayed for a softening of God's anger, and God listened. He realized how wretched Israel had become under the brutalities of the king of Aram. So God provided a savior for Israel who brought them out from under Aram's oppression. The children of Israel were again able to live at peace in their own homes, but it didn't make any difference. They didn't change their lives, didn't turn away from the Jeroboam sins that now characterized Israel, including the sex and religion shrines of Asherah still flourishing in Samaria. Nothing was left of Jehoahaz's army after Hazael's oppression except for 50 cavalry, 10 chariots, and 10,000 infantry. The king of Aram had decimated the rest, leaving behind him mostly chaff. The rest of the life and times of Jehoahaz, the record of his accomplishments, are written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Jehoahaz died and was buried with his ancestors in Samaria. His son, Jehoash, succeeded him as king. Jehoash of Israel In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel in Samaria, a reign of 16 years. In God's eyes, he lived an evil life. He didn't deviate one bit from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who led Israel into a life of sin. He plodded along in the same tracks, step after step. The rest of the life and times of Jehoash, the record of his accomplishments and his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Jehoash died and joined his ancestors. Jeroboam took over his throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria in the royal cemetery. Elisha came down sick. It was the sickness of which he would soon die. Jehoash, king of Israel, paid him a visit. When he saw him, he wept openly, crying, My father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel. Elisha told him, Go and get a bow and some arrows. The king brought him the bow and arrows. Then he told the king, Put your hand on the bow. He put his hand on the bow. Then Elisha put his hand over the hand of the king. Elisha said, Now open the east window. He opened it. Then he said, Shoot! And he shot. The arrow of God's salvation, exclaimed Elisha, the arrow of deliverance from Aram. You will do battle against Aram until there's nothing left of it. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. He picked them up. Then he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. The king struck the ground three times and then quit. The holy man became angry with him. Why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would beat Aram until he was finished. As it is, you'll defeat him three times only. Then Elisha died and they buried him. Sometime later, raiding bands of Moabites, as they often did, invaded the country. One day, some men were burying a man and spotted the raiders. They threw the man into Elisha's tomb and got away. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came alive, stood up, and walked out on his own two feet. 
Hazael, king of Aram, badgered and bedeviled Israel all through the reign of Jehoahaz. But God was gracious and showed mercy to them. He stuck with them out of respect for his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He never gave up on them, never even considered discarding them, even to this day. Hazael, king of Aram, died. His son, Benadad, was the next king. Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, turned things around and took back the cities that Benadad, son of Hazael, had taken from his father Jehoahaz. Jehoash went to war three times and defeated him each time, recapturing the cities of Israel. Amaziah of Judah In the second year of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, son of Joash, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan. She was from Jerusalem. He lived the way God wanted and did the right thing, but he didn't come up to the standards of his ancestor David. Instead, he lived pretty much as his father Joash had. The local sex and religion shrines continued to stay in business with people frequenting them. When he had the affairs of the kingdom well in hand, he executed the palace guard that had assassinated his father, the king. But he didn't kill the sons of the assassins. He was obedient to what God commanded, written in the word revealed to Moses, that parents shouldn't be executed for their children's sins, nor children for those of their parents. We each pay personally for our sins." Amaziah roundly defeated Edom in the Valley of Salt to the tune of 10,000 dead. In another battle, he took the rock and renamed it Jophiel, the name it still bears. One day, Amaziah sent envoys to Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, challenging him to a fight. Come and meet with me, dare you? Let's have it out face to face. Jehoash, king of Israel, replied to Amaziah, king of Judah. One day, a thistle in Lebanon sent word to a cedar in Lebanon, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But then a wild animal of Lebanon passed by and stepped on the thistle, crushing it. Just because you've defeated Edom in battle, you now think you're a big shot? Go ahead and be proud, but stay home. Why press your luck? Why bring defeat on yourself and Judah? Amaziah wouldn't take no for an answer, so Jehoash, king of Israel, gave in and agreed to a battle between him and Amaziah, king of Judah. They met at Beth Shemesh, a town of Judah. Judah was thoroughly beaten by Israel. All their soldiers ran home in defeat. Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. But Jehoash didn't stop there. He went on to attack Jerusalem. He demolished the wall of Jerusalem all the way from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate, a stretch of about 600 feet. He looted the gold, silver, and furnishings, anything he found that was worth taking, from both the palace and the temple of God. And for good measure, he took hostages. Then he returned to Samaria. The rest of the life and times of Jehoash, his significant accomplishments in the fight with Amaziah, king of Judah, are all written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Jehoash died and was buried in Samaria in the cemetery of the kings of Israel. His son, Jeroboam, became the next king. 
Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, continued as king 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. The rest of the life and times of Amaziah is written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. At the last, they cooked up a plot against Amaziah in Jerusalem, and he had to flee to Lachish. But they tracked him down in Lachish and killed him there. They brought him back on horseback and buried him in Jerusalem with his ancestors in the city of David. Azariah, he was only 16 years old at the time, was the unanimous choice of the people of Judah to succeed his father Amaziah as king. Following his father's death, he rebuilt and restored Eloth to Judah. Jeroboam II of Israel In the fifteenth year of Amaziah son of Joash king of Judah, Jeroboam son of Jehoash became king of Israel in Samaria. He ruled for forty-one years. As far as God was concerned, he lived an evil life, never deviating an inch from all the sin of Jeroboam son of Nebat, who led Israel into a life of sin. But he did restore the borders of Israel to Lebo Hamath in the far north and to the Dead Sea in the south, matching what God, the God of Israel, had pronounced through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. God was fully aware of the trouble in Israel, its bitterly hard times. No one was exempt, whether enslaved person or citizen, and no hope of help anywhere was in sight. But God wasn't yet ready to blot out the name of Israel from history, so he used Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, to save them. The rest of the life and times of Jeroboam, his victories in battle and how he recovered for Israel both Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, these are all written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Jeroboam died and was buried with his ancestors in the royal cemetery. His son Zechariah became the next king. Acts chapter 18 verse 23 through chapter 19 verse 12. After spending a considerable time with the Antioch Christians, Paul set off again for Galatia and Phrygia, retracing his old tracks one town after another, putting fresh heart into the disciples. A man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt, and a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the scriptures. He was well-educated in the way of the master and fiery in his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point, but he only went as far as the baptism of John. He preached with power in the meeting place. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. When Apollos decided to go on to Achaia province, his Ephesian friends gave their blessing and wrote a letter of recommendation for him urging the disciples there to welcome him with open arms. The welcome paid off. Apollos turned out to be a great help to those who had become believers through God's immense generosity. He was particularly effective in public debate with the Jews as he brought out proof after convincing proof from the scriptures that Jesus was in fact God's Messiah. Now it happened that while Apollos was away in Corinth, Paul made his way down through the mountains, came to Ephesus, and happened on some disciples there. The first thing he said was, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only, or did you also embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? We've never even heard of that. A Holy Spirit? God? Within us? How were you baptized then? asked 
Paul, in John's baptism? That explains it, said Paul. John preached a baptism of radical life change so that people would be ready to receive the one coming after him who turned out to be Jesus. If you've been baptized in John's baptism, you're ready now for the real thing, for Jesus. And they were. As soon as they heard of it, they were baptized in the name of the Master Jesus. Paul put his hands on their heads and the Holy Spirit entered them. From that moment on, they were praising God in tongues and talking about God's actions. Altogether, there were about 12 people there that day. Paul then went straight to the meeting place. He had the run of the place for three months, doing his best to make the things of the kingdom of God real and convincing to them. But then resistance began to form as some of them began spreading evil rumors through the congregation about the Christian way of life. So Paul left, taking the disciples with him, and set up shop in the school of Tyrannus, holding class there daily. He did this for two years, giving everyone in the province of Asia, Jews as well as Greeks, ample opportunity to hear the message of the Master. Witches came out of the woodwork. God did powerful things through Paul, things quite out of the ordinary. The word got around and people started taking pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs and scarves and the like that had touched Paul's skin and then touching the sick with them. The touch did it. They were healed and whole. Psalm 146. Hallelujah, oh my soul, praise God. All my life long, I'll praise God, singing songs to my God as long as I live. Don't put your life in the hands of experts who know nothing of life, of salvation life. Mere humans don't have what it takes. When they die, their projects die with them. Instead, get help from the God of Jacob. Put your hope in God and no real blessing. God made sky and soil, sea and all the fish in it. He always does what he says. He defends the wronged. He feeds the hungry. God frees prisoners. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up the fallen. God loves good people, protects strangers, takes the side of orphans and widows, but makes short work of the wicked. God's in charge always. Zion's God is God for good. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 18 verses 2 and 3. Fools care nothing for thoughtful discourse. All they do is run off at the mouth. When wickedness arrives, shame's not far behind. Contempt for life is contemptible. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have explored these narratives of the past today, Lord, we're reminded of the triumphs and challenges that unfold within your word. And Lord, we are so grateful for the lessons that we're learning, the wisdom that we're gaining, and the insights that are just stirring our hearts. Father, please help us to become one with your word, Lord. Let his power transcend time and space for us on a deeply personal level. Let it resonate in our souls. Let the triumphs inspire us, reminding us that through faith and obedience, we can overcome any challenge that lies before us. Lord, let the moments of vulnerability and defeat teach us valuable lessons about the importance of humility, resilience, and the boundless depths of your grace. Lord, today we embrace the truth that we are 
We are art in progress. We are living artistry in progress, Lord. And just as an artist pours out her heart and soul into her creation, Lord, you have intricately designed every aspect of our being. Lord, you've endowed us with unique gifts, skills, talents, and passions that contribute to the vibrant tapestry of humanity. Lord, grant us the wisdom to discern the textures and the colors that belong on our unique canvas. Help us to align our actions with our values to make choices that honor you and uplift others. Lord, may our lives radiate with authenticity and purpose, inspiring people around us to embrace their own journeys of self-discovery and self-expression within the boundaries of who you've called and created them to be. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being co-creators with you. Thank you, Jesus. As we navigate the patterns and hues of our lives, may we do so with courage, faith, and a deep abiding sense of gratitude. Lord, we pray that our lives may be a testament to your transformative power, leaving an indelible mark on the canvas of history. May we live with boldness, embracing our gifts, the gifts that you've given us and using them for your glory and to bless others. Heavenly Father, as we close this time of reflection and prayer with you, we ask that you would just impress the lessons of today's reading on our heart. Lord, seal it in our spirits. May these truths shape our character, influence our decisions, and draw us closer to you. Empower us to live out your word in tangible ways. Lord, we want to be living testimonies of your love and your grace. In the name of Jesus, the ultimate artist and author of our lives, we pray. Amen. And our affirmation for today, I am not bound by the limitations of the past. I have the power to rewrite my story and paint a future filled with abundance and joy. I am not bound by the limitations of the past. I have the power to rewrite my story and paint a future filled with abundance and joy. And our aphorism, the only way to be extraordinary depends on what I do with the ordinary. That is all I have for you today. Thank you for joining me on this soul-stirring expedition. Until we meet again, may your days be filled with inspired encounters, divine synchronicities, and a deep knowing that you are supported, surrounded, and secured by the grace of God. Keep exploring, keep seeking, and keep flowing in his love. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey. I love you, and if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.